Rachel Needle from Talking With Tech. And I'm Chris Bouguet from Talking With Tech. We have a podcast dedicated to augmentative and alternative communication, all things related to helping kids with complex communication needs. If you have a passion for helping people with language disabilities, this is the show for you. Each episode features an interview or a roundtable discussion on a topic related to augmentative communication and helping people with language disabilities. And we're really passionate about giving practical strategies to clinicians working in the field who are working with children or adults, anything related to AAC. So you can look us up on iTunes or you can find us on Facebook. We've got a group over there or check out our website at bit.ly slash TWT podcast. Please join our community of professionals that are working to ensure that everyone can say whatever they want to say, however they want to say it. The views and opinions expressed during this show do not necessarily reflect like the, the policy or position of any affiliated workplace or employer. The views and opinions of the show do not constitute recommendations for therapy. Please, Please contact, contact a licensed SLP for individual consult on your situation. Please listen carefully. What is communication? An essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster another. It's transmitting a thought from one person to another. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other. The back and forth between two people. Communication is a lifeline. It's just connection with other people. Connecting people in terms of ideas or thoughts or needs. Draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families. Without it, we'd be lost. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information. Welcome to Speech Science episode number 117. I'm Matt Hot, joined as always by my compatriots for almost 100 episodes at this point, Michael McLeod. What's up, buddy? Hi, Mike. And Michelle Wintering. Hi, Matt. I was going to ask what your middle name is, but it's Lynn, isn't it? Uh, that's one of them. Yeah, I actually have two. Ooh. Mike, do you have two middle names? Two middle names. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm I guessing have that's eight. the Catholic side. One middle name. Grady. Is it really Grady? Yes, it is. Oh, that's okay. not the Catholic side. That's uh, my mom gave me her maiden name. As oh, middle. that's really cool. And I did the same for my son. My son has has that in, has wintering in, uh, in as a middle name that is awesome yep. all right we want to know your middle name but we are proud members of the exceptional podcast network and today's show we are going to talk about how COVID has changed the way that new slps are being trained also a introductory study looking at the difference between telehealth therapy and in-person therapy we have our ss pod shout outs due process and the asha spotlight but of course, we want to always hear from you. So make sure you head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. And you can email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on the discords. If you are using discord, discord.speechsciencepodcast.com. Uh, let's see, phone call 614-681-1798 or text message 614-681-1798. And hashtag SSPod on all of your social media. We are on Instagram. We are on the Twitters. I think that's about it. Are we on any other social media? Facebook. Yeah, those are the main ones. Yeah. TikTok. We have a TikTok. No, we don't, but I want a TikTok, <laughs> and my wife says I'm too old for TikTok. Guys. Why don't we have one yet for speech science then? Because I am not that creative. We should it's do really an Instagram Instagram live of us recording Ooh. while we're while we're recording. You know where we can do that, Mike? Where? On Discord. You can do a live? Yeah, we can do a live show on Discord. We can also do a live show on YouTube. Is it live video, live audio? What is uh, it? Discord, Discord is live uh, live audio, and on YouTube, we used to do live shows with live video. Nice. But if you yeah. go to our Instagram right now on your phone and do an Instagram live, it could be of this right now, of us recording. Really? Like I've, seen, I've seen other podcasts do that. All right, let's try this. <laughs> I'm opening up the Instagram app. This makes for lovely, lovely. How do I do live? All right. So we are oh, checking connection and we are. As going Mike to, drinks is bubbly. You're now live. So I guess we are now live on Instagram as we are attempting to. I don't even know who I'm recording to or can see. You can see when people log in. Can you really? Their names will pop up. 
Okay, so we are just practicing this live feed, and I don't think we're going to do it for all the time, but Pamela Bianca has joined. Mike, this is your idea to try doing a live. We're just testing Instagram live, live on air, so hi. (laughs) And now I'm going to hop off of this because this feels very Keep it on, keep it up, keep it up. keeping it on. We'll go live later. All right, and now, yes. That will be in the show. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, as always, let's start around the horn. Mike, how has your week been? Uh, it's been a good week. Uh, still, uh, the clinic is opening up, and we're, you know, have a couple of clients there, you know, as long as families are, are wanting to go and things like that, but continuing a lot with teletherapy because we've seen a lot of success from it, and it works with flexible scheduling, and it gets rid of the transportation to and from the clinic and things like that. Uh, so it's been, you know, so far so good with a nice mix, but uh, it's been great working with my students over the summer and keeping in touch with them and following through on goals and uh, helping with all of this unstructured time during the summer, which is big with executive functioning. So, uh, so far so good. Awesome. And Michelle, how has your week been? Uh, pretty good. I'm working just two days a week, as I told you all last time. Um, and since we're moving in just a month, sort of dwindling down on my caseload and starting to hand off patients. And uh, it's it's crazy to be doing speech therapy with all of the gear that we're doing it now. But at the same time, trying to stay positive and especially when you work with pediatrics to um, let the kids know that they're safe and that this gear keeps them and me safe and um, trying to keep it, keep it positive and a good experience. So how long till you move? Did you say? Uh, we move in July. Ooh, do you have an exit date yet? Uh, movers come July 10th, but we won't be leaving till a week after that. Or you're going to just be furnitureless. Yeah. Air mattresses, you know, the usual that works. I hate moving. If there is one thing that I could wish that could never, ever do again, it would be moving. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It does suck. I'm sorry. I mean, it does, but that's part of my life. So, (laughs) Especially when you just have so much, so many large things like it, like that thing you have over your shoulder, Matt, if you were to move that thing, that desk, that whatever that is with with the toys in it. Yeah. Action figures. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, the heavy lifting will be done by a moving company. So That's fair. There you go. Smart move. Yeah. I will say that we have moved way too many times in my life and never has a move gone easy. So, Michelle, I wish you all the best on your mission, on your move. Yeah. they. I mean, they're not. They're not easy. But I feel like this has to be infinitely better than moving with a three-week-old. So ah, That's a good point. True. Yeah. Very good point. Yeah. For me, my week, I let my seven-year-old drive a golf cart. Um, I still been doing home health care therapy, and I am now getting COVID tested every two weeks, y'all. Oh, every really? two weeks? Yeah, the back of my brain is being tickled by a Q-tip <laughs> uh, every two weeks. So is that it's for home health? Yes, it is. They, uh, it's part of our, uh, our offensive uh, of COVID, and they want to make sure that because uh, Ohio, the numbers are going down, but in my wonderful southwest corner of Ohio, the numbers are skyrocketing, and they want to make sure that we're safe. So. Closer to me, <laughs> got it. Yeah, yes, we yes. get to. I have to quarantine for 14 days when I make my move. That's the requirement with the military right now. <laughs> Disney is asking all their guests to quarantine for two weeks as well. All their guests when they go home? No, when they get there. So you're supposed to stay in Disney for what, three weeks? <laughs> you're telling me that's like a bad thing. I'm saying that's yeah, but a wonderful. If you thing. have to quarantine for the first two weeks, you can't enjoy Disney. Yeah, that's really weird. Have you not seen a Disney room? It is wonderful. And there's Disney photos on the wall. I would be fine for two weeks. For two weeks looking at Disney photos on the wall? Paying for, paying for a hotel to quarantine in? Listen, for the last six months, <laughs> I have stared at a white wall doing therapy. I could stare at the Toy Story department. <laughs> Do you get a discount on your two weeks of quarantine hotel no, you, price? No, you just go quarantine at the Holiday Inn and then move over to the Disney. <laughs> so you want to have the Disney pictures. <laughs> My pride is terrible, all right? Are you see? Are, are we secretly uh, sponsored by Disney? Because we're not talking, yet. Is, I would love to be. 
This is this oh, house of mouse man. is taking over, dude. We want to hear from you. Speech science podcast. We'll get to the content soon, guys. <laughs> Speech science podcast at gmail.com or 614-681-1798. At the beginning of every show, we do an SS pod shout out and an SS pod due process. The due process is where you get to bring us something that sucks and we get to talk about and decide if you're right, it's bad. Let's take it to due process or eh, probably not the hill to die on. Right now, we don't have any due processes, so make sure you hashtag SS pod due process. But we do have an SS pod shout out. And Michelle, uh, Courtney Claxton, uh, she reached out to us and you have interacted with her before, correct? I have, yeah. She's been a longtime listener of our show and is a um, fairly new SLP in the last couple of years, if I remember right. And she uh, is engaged to someone in the Army as well. So she and I have that connection. But Courtney, thank you for reaching out to us. Do you want me to read that, Matt? Yeah, if you like to or just, yeah, go for it. Sure. She... Um, she has her own personal blog, I know, which is H-O-H Speechy, Hard of Hearing Speechy, uh, because she herself ha is hard of hearing. But she started a Facebook group, if there is any listeners who are interested. It's called Speech Language and Hearing Professionals Living with Hearing Loss. So if you are looking to connect with some other SLPs who also have a similar experience as you, you can search that group. And we will, I think, link it in the show notes too, right, Matt? Yep, that is our SS Pod shout out this week. Okay, like it. So thanks, Courtney. Yeah, and if you have somebody that you'd like to shout out, or you have something that is awesome for our field, please hashtag it SS Pod shout out, or send us an email, or a text message, or a phone call. We will take any of the above. All right, guys, let's start off with. The teletherapy article, this is coming out of the Journal of Speech, Language, and Hearing Research. And it, the title is Improved Conversation Outcomes After Social Communication Skills Training for People with Traumatic Brain Injury and Their Communication Partners, a clinical trial investigating in-person and telehealth uh, therapy delivery. And if you scroll all the way to the conclusion, it says that they both produced similar outcomes uh, in their therapy sessions, which for those of us that have been thrown feet first or head first into the teletherapy world, it's good news that we can start to see some of these articles coming out, looking at the difference between in-person and, and telehealth therapy sessions. Yeah. So overall, the, the aim of the study was to investigate the effectiveness of social communication skills training for people with TBI and their communication partners delivered in person or via telehealth. So basically what, what Matt said for based on the findings, uh, similar results. So that's a very positive thing for what we've been doing these past couple of, couple of months, couple of weeks. Couple now, of Mike, months, really. I know you work with cognitive or executive functioning. Do you work with any traumatic brain injury? Uh, very rarely, okay. very rarely. Yeah, so it's typically more of just, you know, uh, a developmental delay in executive functioning. Uh, TBI-based EF uh, is much more, is, is so incredibly different. Michelle, do you work with any TBI patients? Um, on occasion. It's not my primary caseload. but I was going to say, I have not worked with a TBI patient since grad school. Hmm. Mm. Um, so what is the big difference when we're looking at, you know, EF training or social communication training for TBI versus developmental or non-TBI? Like I work with adults, but they're not TBI. They're usually stroke or, or vascular. Well, in terms of developmental, so a lot of the kids I work with are middle school, high school, college age. And these are just basic overall developmental delays in executive functioning. And you can see a lot of improvements in terms of changing the environment, uh, making a lot of information external in terms of consequences and rewards and uh, emotional regulation and things like that. Uh, when you have a TBI, uh, you're talking about more issues structurally within the brain. Uh, so it's obviously going to be much more intense uh, and you're probably gonna have to do a lot more uh, compensatory work uh, in terms of ensuring that they are able to self-regulate and organize and things like that. So it's not so much of working with the parents and changing the environment. It's gonna be a lot more of uh, intensive work uh, ensuring that they are productive on a day-to-day. -day. 
And also with TBI, as I know you both know, but you can also have various aphasias as a result mm -hmm. of TBI, depending on what injury that was. Exactly. So looking at the limitations of the study, they say their number one limitation of the study was that the number of participants, while adequate for comparisons, the trial was not adequately powered for a non-inferiority design that would detect differences between in-person and telehealth groups. Um, and that they were the participants were not uh, randomized to the three arms of the trial. So they feel that there may be some bias in there that they already knew who they were going to work with on telehealth and who they were going to work with uh, in person. But you know what, though, I kind of feel like that would make sense because you're not going to you shouldn't be putting people that are not um, able to be done telehealth therapy uh, through that process, right? My wrong in that situation or that that thought process i mean i think you're right too and i also i think that would tie in as well with what they mentioned that each person who was in the study mm -hmm. was invited to bring a communication partner of some sort they said a family member a friend or a caregiver to participate in the study as well so with them because they were talking about communication partner training so i feel like depending on who that communication partner is and now you're doing teletherapy mm -hmm. with two people, right? Which can be a huge benefit. Yeah. Well, and again, I don't know how y'all's rules work in, in Pennsylvania and Kentucky, but here in Ohio, we need a facilitator on site for telehealth therapy. I think that's pretty common a lot of places. Is it really? What but I do mean? think that's... What, what does that mean in terms of a facilitator? So according to Ohio, or at least right now during the COVID break, um, a facilitator is just somebody that is on site with the person. Like line of sight with them, right? Yep. That can implement some of the strategies that you're doing or regulate what's happening or, or do really anything. They should be there. So is they may like not an, is, be facilitating. They may be just supervising. Correct. Like an aid, like an aid for the person? Could be an aid. It could be a parent. It could be an assistant, SLP assistant. Uh, the idea is, is that just there's somebody there uh, I don't want to say facilitating because that yeah, gives the wrong connotation, but, you know, giving the, the physical or the visual prompt when needed or redirection. Is that, is that because of insurance? Insurance mandates that? I think it's just Ohio law. That's interesting. Is that, that's what Ohio the law does. or is it um, from the Ohio speech uh, language hearing association? Sorry, the speech board. Oh, okay. okay. I mean, like a lot of time, like, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. I was going to, you know, guess on that one, but no, it's just an Ohio thing or it might just be an Ohio thing. I know that a lot of teletherapy companies, including the one we did that multi-part interview with, mm -hmm. uh, that is their line of sight is their rule that someone has to be, you know, with the student because they work primarily in the schools. Um, so even a high schooler, there would be someone, you know, line of sight to observe them across the room. Makes sense doing therapy well that makes sense but it is a good start for those of us that are thrown into teletherapy or like mike that are maybe added teletherapy to your private practice so we want to hear from you what does this do for you speech science podcast.com speech science podcast at gmail.com or 614-681-1798 hashtag ss pod our second article is coming out of the orlando sentinel uh, title, COVID-19 prompts UCF to design new speech pathology course. And I love this. It is a whole course dedicated, uh, what do they call it? It is the, and I just lost it. Do you guys have the, the name of the course? Is it a course? Is it, was it a course or was it a full program? Uh, I believe it was a new course that they introduced. I Here you go. Don't have the course titled <laughs> Post-COVID-19 Clinical Practices and Medical Speech Language Pathology. It adds to their knowledge and also reinforces the needs for PPE uh, and, and just a few other things. We'll have the whole course. Or here's the course description. Encompass the study of foundational topics in medically-based SLP with incorporation of content regarding COVID-19 and the impact of illness on patient interventions. Uh, let's see. A foundation of applied physiology of various organs, blah, blah, blah. So I love this. I think you're going to see this. Uh, we talked about this last week, the growing, our growing education in this field. You know, how many of us would love to go back and take this course for free UCF? 
<laughs> I mean, I would, I would totally sign up for a course like that. Uh, the good news is that we've only missed one session so far. They meet every Tuesday at six at, on, at six o'clock, starting you yesterday. Take it, you June can take it, while, take it while you're at Disney, <laughs> quarantining at Disney. There you go. So it is one course. It's not yes. an entire. Okay. Correct. So so I, I read that wrong initially. But yeah, yeah no, it is going to yeah. be one course. Obviously, it's a it's a a great idea, especially for uh, the people that are graduating into this pandemic. Uh, obviously, for all of us who have been living it already with our CFYs and our and our Cs, uh, we're all praying for the day this is over and we're back to normal. But you know, maybe maybe this is one program that's kind of looking at it with realistic eyes. You know, how many how many of us have seen that one article dig, like dug deep beneath the other articles? that this is the new normal, that there will be no shaking hands for years and years. Masks will be uh, you know, around for a very long time. Uh, you know, a lot of these, you know, the common cold is a coronavirus. And there's been many, many viruses that have not had herd immunity and they haven't been able to, to develop a vaccine. So maybe, maybe this is one program that's really uh, taking advantage of what's happening. And realizing what's you know the severity of all this, so I'm actually more surprised, and and I've said this to my bosses at my home healthcare job, that it's taken a national pandemic for us to check on the health and safety of everyone walking into our nursing and skilled nursing facilities, mm -hmm. or any medical facility. When you think about yes. it, yeah. Well, you know, they're like, oh, we're so sorry for the inconvenience as I'm getting my temperature taken and filling out a form that says, are you coughing? Do you feel any of these symptoms? I'm like, I feel like this should have been done every day I walked into this building. Were there significant issues before this in terms of outsiders bringing in sicknesses? No, but I just feel like if I'm working in a facility where it's already a, you know, a population that's going to be more open to disease or disorder. I, I feel kind of like this makes common sense. Well, maybe masks should have been mandatory this whole time. Well, you know, having people, you know, temperature checks requires more personnel and more things like that. But hey, I am a I, job creator, Mike. There you go. But just moving forward, I think we're going to see a lot more, you know, before this whole COVID thing, I think a lot of us associated mask wearing with like pollution from like yep. from Japan and China or whatever it may be. And now I think we're gonna see them a lot more for the years and years to come. They're gonna see people out, out there with masks, especially in the mm -hmm. wintertime. I think you're right. And I, I also, you know, courses like this that are being developed at this university, I think this is very forward thinking because mm -hmm. we know these things aren't going away. And even in the article they talk about, um, one of the assignments is the students have to wear a mask for eight plus hours. And because that's what you do if you're working in a medical setting or any speech setting right now and possibly in schools as well if they, as they reopen this fall. Yeah, I had my, you know, my first, what well, was back in May, no, March. I had my first like, N95 mass marks. And you were just, you know, the first time you take it off, you're like, wow, I'm in it. And then after a while, you're just like, you know, getting out of the car today, I just threw on my mask and just walk right into the, the facility. It just, it's no longer this, mm -hmm. like, it feels like, you know, at the very beginning, it felt like I was suiting up, like going to war, if it makes sense, not going to war, mm -hmm. but you know what I mean? But now it's, just a normal part of the routine. So I don't know if that's good or bad. Well, my, my boss um, actually said to me in a conversation during, during all of this, and he said, uh, you know, I remember when they added the hand sanitizers outside of every room in the hospital and every room in the therapy clinic. And we all thought, are you serious? We have to do this every time we <laughs> come in and out. And that became the norm very quickly. So I'm curious what will be you know, our masks, what will become the complete norm, what mm -hmm. things, even when COVID-19 clears up, are going to stay long-term. Well, and I find it interesting that um, at the very beginning, it was like, okay, PPE is going to be reused and da-da-da-da-da. And then my most recent 
jaunt through the home care side they were like yeah just take like five or ten masks and that'll give you through like the next couple of days we got ton on order and it's like okay cool we're now ready and and like you said i love that Mm -hmm. so gotta be ready we want to hear from you. Head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. Uh, Almost forgot the .com part. Or email speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com, 614-681-1798. Those are the digits, and you can uh, send us a message or hashtag it SSPod. We will respond with you as well. On the other side of the break, Christina Rastucci uh, joins us for the third part uh, we're now looking at the discharge and the generalization and carryover of articulation and the letter R in particular. She runs Say It Right and also the entire world of R. You're listening to Speak Science. Hi, I'm Mei-Ling Chan. And I'm Martin Sibley. And we are the hosts of the Exceptional Leaders Podcast, where we spotlight high-profile topics and amazing people who are changing the worldview on disability. Even though we are oceans apart, we are bringing people from all over the world together to discuss inclusion, advocacy, accessibility, and real-life journeys. So listen to the Exceptional Leaders Podcast to hear the voices and stories from amazing changemakers and be inspired to make a real difference in the world. This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Speech Science. I'm Matt Hunt, joined by Mrs. R herself, Christina Rastusha, sayitright.org. So this is week three in our back to basics look at articulation. Week one, we looked at the evaluation of articulation and the assessment. Week two, we looked at a little bit of the IEP and then also how to structure your therapy, looking really at those 10 steps that you can find over at sayitright.org. But now let's talk about the end game. The end game is we don't want lifers in speech. The kids don't want it. We don't want it. Teachers, they may want it. But how do we know when to get rid of that student? I know we talked about 80% last week as kind of that time to move on to the next allophone or the next phoneme. But is that 80% where we should be looking at all sounds and all production? So if we look at R, is it 80% across the board at conversation? Well, I look at... um... 80% of the sentence level before you redo the screening, but I'm still looking at, um, I still have structured reading and stories with mm-hmm. in them. And I'm always doing structured conversation before we begin therapy. Yeah. So they're still working on those sounds, but we're just moving on to the screening for the next R. Right, correct. Sense. But in our, my IEP goals, we have 90% accuracy oh. all the way to conversation. Yeah. So we don't dismiss at 80% because that would not be sufficient. They would still be misproducing 20%, which is quite a bit. And, and that impacts spelling and reading and writing and all of those things that impact academic performance. So... I've, I've heard school psychs before be in meetings with me where they say every goal has to be 80%. And once they hit 80%, there's nothing we can do for them. So it is kind of refreshing to hear somebody else say, no, our tick should be right around that, that 90. And we're not just talking about a goal for a student that we're setting at 75%. We're talking actual dismissal. So your actual dismissal, if they hit 90%, is that, do you feel comfortable looking at a discharge at that point? Oh, absolutely. Okay, okay. But of course, you know, in an IEP meeting, it's always a, a team decision. Mm-hmm. It's the teacher, the parent, the student, it's, it's everybody. So if the parent's comfortable, I, I don't mind sending home, if they're 90% with me, I don't mind sending home stories for them to practice or production practice lists or things like that. And that way they can practice those. Uh, or the teacher can get them 
But once they, I mean, I feel like as an SLP, like our job is to teach proper placement, manner, articulation, and strategies. And once we've hit that 90%, I, I consider that to be pretty much mastery and they can practice things at home as well. I had a uh, student that was producing, uh, I'd say about 75 to 80%, not showing any improvement for about three years, just kind of in that spot. And they didn't want to come to therapy. And I'll be honest, it was kind of one of those things where as I was going to go get the kid, it was kind of like, oh my gosh, is this going to be the day where we make a big breakthrough or am I just spinning my wheels? And spoke to mom and mom was on board for a dismissal from speech. Like kid wanted dismissal. Mom was on board. I was kind of like, Hey, maybe we need to look at a dismissal from speech. And I sent out a blanket email to the staff that had this kid, not the whole staff, just, just the, sta- the, the students, teachers. And I said, Hey, what are you noticing from an articulation standpoint? And every teacher said no problems at all, except one teacher. And one teacher said, the student gave a presentation last week, broke down into tears because they kept mispronouncing these sounds. Mm. And that was that moment where you go, this is what I can teach and get them right back on. But when we look at dismissal, you talked about you can send them homework. We talk about dismissal from direct services. You could also do a consult. Is that correct? That's correct, Matt. Depending on the state. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you always want to, like, at the IEP meetings, like, if they're twice a week, see them twice a week, and then if they're about 80% at the sentence level, then usually I decrease down to once a week to work on structured conversation and then spontaneous conversation um, for once a week, and then we'll do that for a while, a year, and then we'll move down to 0.25 or, you know, which mm-hmm. is, which is 30 minutes every other week. And so you're, you're decreasing the amount of support, but in an incremental fashion. And then the parents or the teachers or the student always has the option when they're not completely dismissed to call an amendment meeting, they can increase mm-hmm if they need to or decrease or so I had a parent last week about a fluency student and she wanted him dismissed and I said I I think we should just put him on a consult model for at least another year and because he's still not a hundred percent and you're not going to be happy if he starts (laughs) we got to start the whole process again right I I feel like a lot of SLPs don't, and it's not just SLPs. It's a lot of people in special ed don't Mm -hmm. realize how important that's like you had mentioned, like I I call it step down when I talk to my intervention specialist, like this kid had 90 minutes. You know what? Let's look at how they do at 60 minutes. Cause in Ohio, in Ohio, we do minutes per month versus, sessions per week or sessions per per quarter. So our our IEPs look like 120 minutes a month or 270 minutes per month. I I, I don't know how many times I've seen looking through IEP notes where it's like 180 for one year, 180, 180, 60, and the kid like accuracy drops. That, That step down is so important to that. Exactly. Well, it's like that with anything, I think. You have to, if you break your leg or you're in physical <laughs> therapy for a while and you have crutches and then you walk, you know, and then you incrementally go less times a week to physical therapy and then you go to the gym yourself. And, you know, it's just, and I think in anything, having that step down is important. And then you had mentioned sending home stuff or, or generalization. How do we ensure what we have done in the therapy room really does generalize out? Do you spend a lot of time educating the teachers you work with or the parents? Or is it if you follow the process, the kids really start to generalize their own? Or is it a mixture of the both? Or It's kind of a combination of both. I educate the teachers. I educate the parents. I send home those keywords for homework so that they are continually practicing those. And 
So it's a, I, cause it is a team approach. I only see them two sessions a week. If even that, it depends on, and you see them minutes per month. Mm -hmm. So uh, the parents are with them and the teachers are with them a lot more than I am. So I try to have that team approach where I educate the teacher and the parent and then send home those keywords for production practice. I like that. Yeah, yeah, that minute approach, sometimes it's wonderful and then sometimes it's terrible because right. you'll be like, listen, I'm seeing their student for 45 minutes a week, every week. Mm -hmm. And what I would like to do is to change that from 45 minutes a week to 30 minutes a week. So what that looks like in a therapy session is, you know, we're just slowly cutting back time. But unfortunately, when you look at an IEP, you go from 180 minutes to 120, it looks like a significant drop and you have to be like, okay, no, we're only looking at a 15 minute cut so they can get back to class on time. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. No, and it's important because people don't know it, mm -hmm. it, you know, so that's a lot of it is in working with parents and teachers and just anybody is just making it, trying to explain our jargon and speech to <laughs> And that doesn't know speech and, and why we do what we do. Well, and what yeah. you do is the world of R over at sayitright.org. And you are Mrs. R. And I hope you get every award because I, I say this from the bottom of my heart. You really fixed the way I was looking at R therapy in just one conversation. And I can tell you that it's going to change the way that I help some of my kids so I, I want to say that to you on air in front of the thousands of listeners that I do really appreciate. And I really help. thank you so much for these past three weeks of our going back to basics and articulation therapy. Oh, you're welcome, Matt. I'm, I'm glad that this is helpful to a lot of people who can graduate students can use it. Really, anyone can use the 10 step process. And I will make sure. Oh, I'm sorry. Say that again. You can, it's replicable and it's research-based, so that, it, it works. And that's that's but for everyone. <laughs> and I love it. I, I do. I love it. And it's so simple and it's, oh, I, I have to share it out some more. But say it, uh, say it right.org. I always get your website <laughs> and my professor's Twitter account, uh, account mixed up. His is say it anyway. And okay. just say it right. And I'm like, all right, which one am I going to today? But sayitright.org, yeah. the world of our Christina, thank you so much. Thank you, Matt. Gazing into the crystal ball, timing of communication recovery in disorders of consciousness. This is a review of the article titled Temporal Profile of Recovery of Communication in Patients with Disorders of Consciousness After Severe Brain Injury, originally published in the journal American Congress Rehabilitation Medicine. Determining prognosis for disorders of consciousness can be very challenging because there are so many contributing factors and unknowns. And yet, the med team is often relying on our input and clinical judgment in determining rehab potential and discharge planning. Therefore, any information which can help us predict the timing and course of recovery is highly valuable. Utilizing the communication items on the Coma Recovery Scale Revised, or the CRSR, Martins and colleagues found four distinct patterns within the first eight weeks of inpatient rehabilitation for patients with severe brain injury. The CRSR looks at functional communication, meaning consistent and accurate yes-no responses, versus intentional communication, which would be an inconsistent yes-no. While none of the patients showed any signs of communication at the time of inpatient rehab admissions, the majority showed intentional communication at six weeks post-injury, and most went on to develop functional communication one week after that. Here's the breakdown of what those four distinct groups looked like. 31% did not recover intentional communication or functional communication in the eight weeks. By comparison, these patients were admitted to rehab later and were younger. It's important to note that about one third of these patients went on to retain intentional communication or functional communication beyond eight weeks. 17% recovered intentional communication only. 
41% recovered intentional communication around day 10 and then functional communication, and 11% recovered functional communication directly without intentional communication first. So the next time your med team is contemplating the prognosis and plan for a patient with severe brain injury, you can chime in with, in a recent study, 61% of patients showed some communication recovery, typically around six to eight weeks post-injury. Those with later admission to inpatient rehab from acute care had an overall poorer prognosis. good is the reflux symptoms index at identifying laryngopharyngeal reflux or LPR in patients with dysphonia? This is a review of the article titled The Reflux Symptoms Index and Symptom Overlap in Dysphonic Patients, originally published in the journal The Laryngoscope. If laryngopharyngeal reflux or LPR was a supervillain, dysphonia would be its sidekick. In fact, this duo is so notorious that a trial of reflux medications is often the first course of action for patients complaining of hoarseness. However, this approach to differential diagnosis lags behind current guidelines and is not without certain risks. While missing or delayed identification of malignancy is certainly one concern, there is also a growing awareness of potential side effects associated with long-term reflux medication use, such as proton pump inhibitors, or PPIs, and H2 blockers. To learn more about this paper and other new research, check out our reviews on the informedslp.com. There's links to both the original article and the review in the show notes. The Informed SLP makes it easy for you to stay up to date on all of the clinically relevant research across the lifespan that comes out every month. Know what works to do what works. Speech Science, Matt Hot, Michael McLeod, Michelle Wintering, the informed SLP was just before talking about the timing of communication recovery and disorders and consciousness. And I can't say it enough. And Michelle and Mike, I don't know if you've had a chance to explore with our informed SLP passwords and username, or I might have to share it with you. But I love having their stuff uh, and, and their article breakdown. Super helpful. Agreed. Right. Their stuff is awesome. I love it. This time at, at every show, we do a ASHA spotlight where it's super easy to look at all the stuff that ASHA doesn't do right. And it seems like every week they are giving us something new, but we like to shine a light on something that they are doing correctly. And Michelle, you found this one. Uh, I'll, I'll let you take it. Oh, yeah. So I was very excited to flip open my ASHA leader when it just came in the mail last week. And I noticed um, a military uniform and I thought, oh, interesting. You don't usually see that with ASHA. And so I looked at it and it says new online community supports military spouses. And it was just a quick, quick blurb to direct people who have any connection with the military to uh, community.asha.org. And I had heard of the community pages, but had honestly never looked at them before. So this was my first time hopping on community.asha.org. And it is a basically networking um, center where you can join different community pages. So for example, they just started a new one for military spouses um, in order to connect with others and um, Matt, you said you're part of one for the ASHA SEALs. Correct. I am correct? In, I'm in the ASHA SEAL one. And also I have joined, I'm part of a bunch like professional materials exchange, the SLP schools, career mm -hmm. center, autism, stuff like that. Yeah. And so it's a place to share resources, ask questions, um, you know, connect about even jobs, if that's what you're looking for, um, with a community that can kind of help fill some of those gaps. And I was just excited to see that this is something they're, um, they're thinking of with ASHA because military spouses do tend to, just as they listed in the short article, tend to experience higher rates of unemployment as well as underemployment, which makes sense when you have to move around every couple of years. Now, I don't want to get too personal, Michelle, and if it's too personal, tell me, and then I will cut it out. Okay. Um, do you find it is difficult when applying for jobs because of because your husband's in the military? I do, yeah. Okay. I just didn't know if it, there's like that, 
like, hey, I don't want to tell you that I may have to leave in 10 months. And, and are um, you pre you're pretty upfront with them when you do that? I've, that's kind of come, uh, it's obviously come up. Um, my first move uh, to a new state as a military spouse was probably the most taunting when I sat through four and five interviews because people just straight up asked the illegal oh, questions yeah. that you're not supposed mm -hmm. to ask in an interview. Is it illegal to ask about that, by the way? Um, it is illegal to ask if oh. I'm married to a military member or if I'm married what? at all, if I have children. That well, yeah, true. I knew that. Yeah, That's all true. of that yeah. is is yep. not allowed to be asked. Um, Full transparency. I do not own any businesses that I have no, hired no. anybody, so like I wouldn't know. <laughs> But I also think a lot of people on interview panels don't necessarily know that that's illegal. Oh, really? Does that make sense? I mean, yeah, because you could be pulled for an interview panel just as a staff member or a peer or mm, point. Um, anything else. So they, they very well not know that either. And so more recently, what I, my take has kind of been, you know, I want someone who is okay with knowing about my family. No, <laughs> so, that makes sense. Um, so I tend to be a little more upfront now, but um, initially that was not the case. Fair enough. Yeah. Cool. And I also don't want to, you know, if someone no, asks no. you a question, you don't want to come back all defensive. Like you can't ask me that. That's an illegal question. Um, so there's, <laughs> are you married to the military? <laughs> You're not allowed to ask it. Is that a yes? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, uh, but I do think there's a lot of people and maybe I'm overstepping by saying this, but a lot of females who feel like they also, I know people who don't wear their wedding rings when they go to interviews. I know people who, because they don't want there to be any thought of, um, That's fair. what are they doing for childcare? Or are they gonna have a baby and need maternity leave? That is such a shame though. Mm -hmm. You know, like I wish it wasn't like that. Yeah, so there you go. Okay, cool. Well, thank you for sharing. Yeah, I didn't know like, about that but yeah no i love the asha communities i like i have subscribed to a couple so they just send me the updates and then it's like a facebook feed so that i don't mm -hmm. have to deal with some of the garbage that i don't want to deal with yeah well and and to say i think anyone moving around or who has a spouse and a job that moves them around whether it's military or not um could face similar things in an interview mm -hmm. and i'll just say shout out to my current place of employment if any of them are listening because um, you know, they are, we're located right near a big army base and they completely get it that that's kind of part of the deal. So fair enough. Fair enough. All right, guys. I think we have put another bow on another episode. We have cracked our way through episode 117 episodes and we want to hear from you at home speech science podcast and speech science podcast at gmail.com. Uh, phone calls or text messages are always welcome. 614-681-1789. Uh, also, we have our Patreon, patreon.com slash speech science podcast, and also our Discord, where you can interact with all of us. So we end the show the same way that we started it. What are you planning on doing this week? Michelle, you've kind of already gave it away when you mentioned moving, but are you doing anything fun this week? Hey, well, I know that some places this is not the case and we're being cautious but the playgrounds are back open stop here. sending your children out there is a plague everybody <laughs> and there are two <laughs> in walkable distance and we clean our hands beforehand and after That's good. but uh it's been great for my almost two-year-old because um he just sleeps better when he's yeah. outside and active and climbing and all of that and then um, the tomorrow is my four-year anniversary oh happy anniversary nice. marriage so that's exciting Yay. and in just over a week my son turns two on the fourth of july yay that's awesome that is awesome and, and as a parent of two i can understand going back to the playgrounds i am not judging you at all just bleach those little hands and don't no, let them no bleach we got we got good hand sanitizer just run the hands soap, under the bleach soap and water soap and water <laughs> no super viruses right yep mike what are you doing that's fun this weekend by the way michelle happy anniversary and happy birthday to uh baby speed science yeah all right mike i wish i went first now i have <laughs> i i do not nearly have a, an exciting week coming up uh, but I do have a ton of evals I need to schedule, which has been hard to do in terms of getting families to the clinic and getting all the protocols in place and the staffing in place and everything. So I got a lot of that to do. 
Um, yeah, and that's pretty much it. Just uh, just keeping things going for the summer and just making sure that we're keeping on top of all the all the students. But pretty much the one thing I'm stressing to all the parents this summer is to make sure your kids are having varied experiences. That's the number yep. one thing. Because, uh, you know, a lot of these, these teens are going to do their best to find two or three things to do every day, whether it's the phone, YouTube, video games, you know, one, one or two things outside. But every day needs to be something new. I like it. Uh, I am doing my best to try to find stuff for my boys to do. Uh, the next week, I think my son and I are going to do another three-mile bike ride. And I Ooh. think I'm going to start trying to get the three-year-old to ride his bike with training wheels this weekend. So, I like it. That is the goal. So I say that with fingers crossed. Our intro That's an music- ambitious week, man. <laughs> right, it is. Our intro music was Please Listen Carefully by Jazar. It's licensed under an attribution and share-alike license. Our bump music is the County Fair Rock copyright of John Deku. Find all of his music at soundcloud.com slash music. The informed SLP's music was At The Count by Broke For Free. And our closing music, Slow Burn by Kevin McLeod. They're both licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. Michelle, I am ready for tears, so I am prepared. And I just had to fix training wheels on this bike that I found at a garage sale. So I am ready. In the immortal words of Janice Wright, she says, be a willow because the oak will crack under pressure the willow will return to form for fellow willows try to say that three times fast for fellow willow willows <laughs> michael mcleod michelle wintering i'm matt hot until next week so long everybody see ya been an exceptional podcast network production speech science is edited and produced by mwh production please follow speech science on twitter at speech science pc and like our page on facebook for more original podcasts please visit exceptionaled.com and rate and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts